This is episode 156, and we're talking about Southern Rock. Um, Leonard Skinner, what you got for me, Mike? Yeah, well, it's the second uh, rock show in a row with some Southern Rock. Last time we talked about the Allman Brothers. Today's yeah. Leonard Skinner. Uh, you know, what can you say? I mean, they're a classic American band, uh, you know, similar to the Allman Brothers in the sense that they went through a lot of tragedy. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, uh, it's just, you know, a crazy excess, a lot. I mean, Leonard Skinner had a reputation for being like brawlers and, you know, ballroom fights and things like that. Uh, it's a great story. Their music is still lives on today. Um, what can I say? You know, they're just one of the, one of the greatest bands that ever existed in America, you know, same with the Allman Brothers. Dude, but the um these guys, man, they made one song that haunts me forever. Freebird. Freebird. <laughs> yeah. he, he, that it's, song is it's played out. It's you know it I you know what? There, there's it's funny. I've always gone back and forth with that song. And you know, it when I hear it on a radio, I usually turn it off. Okay. If I hear it in a bar or something, I'll deal with it because it's a good drinking song. Yeah, it is. But and all their music is. Um, but one one thing that always reminds me now for probably close to twenty years is the way it was used in the movie The Devil's Rejects. <laughs> Do, you yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> okay, the, the ending scene when they're just gonna go in and shoot everybody up and they get shot in the car and everything, yeah. and you know, it's a great scene with that song. Um you know, Freebird is something that you know cover bands do in a you know in a bar or a place. It's just one of those songs. I I I think like uh, stuff like Simple Man is better. Um, you know, not to take away from Freebird, but I just like some of the other stuff a lot more. You know, yeah, it's kind of like the Ramones. It's like the Ramones. What I want to be sedated. You know what I mean? It's just played out. Yeah. You know, you, you want to hear the other shit instead. You know, but you, it's I great. Used, it's a great story, though. What we got today? Yeah, I used to hear that song every time because there was a tag team called the Freebird, and guess what song they came out with? Freebird. The Freebird. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a, a there was a long running joke, you know, like 
years back when people would just yell out Freebird, even not for London Skidded, like any any, any band, band, just yell yeah. out Freebird. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I <remember> that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was at like Coney Island High, like seeing the Dickies, and somebody yelled that out one night. You know what I mean? <laughs> Freebird. I, oh man, yeah. I remember that. People would yeah. do that shit all the time, man. It was, it was yeah. so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. All right, Mike. Yeah. So let's get started. What you got? All right. Well, you know, they they the story of Leonard Skinner goes back to the early '60s, actually, 1964. Um. In, in Jacksonville, Florida, that's where it all originated. Were the um, brothers also from Jacksonville? Yes, yes, and they're, they're, you're going to see some connections with them. Uh, okay. Tom Tom Dowd produced some uh, some uh, Skinnerd, and he yeah. produced a lot of the Allman Brothers stuff. Uh, oh, okay. Their their brother, uh, the brother of um, of Phil Walden, okay, who who managed the Allman Brothers. His brother was involved with Leonard Skinner. Okay, so it's kind of like a incestuous thing. I don't okay. know if they ever played together. That would be a good question if anybody out there uh, can no, look that up. I, I'm just wondering if they ever did. That would be some fucking show if they ever played together. You want to hear something? The, 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 the Leonard Skinner is still playing today, but it's, well, it's like nobody. nobody it's like one. It's today. like one one original guy. You know, like I, I'm yeah. not. I'll go into the different lineups towards the end. But oh, yeah. you know the first couple albums up to up to Street Survivors is classic. You can't go wrong with them. Yeah. Uh, everything after that, well, you know Ronnie was gone and all that. You could take it or leave it. Uh, yeah. But even live, they they concentrate mostly on their on their old stuff. I saw them once. Yeah. I saw them once. Anyway, so back in '64, the summer of '64, Ronnie Van Zant, Bob Burns. And Gary Rossington, okay, became friends with each other through baseball league. Okay, they they played baseball and in rival teams with each other, and they became friends based on the fact that they were musicians. Also, they were you know going in that direction. Um, they decided to jam together one day, and it really like uh, it, it took off. It, they had they realized they had some chemistry. They said, "Let's start a band." So um, they went to the garage of, of Burns' parents, all right, and that's where they would they would jam there. Uh, the first song they ever jammed together on was "Time Is On My Side" by the Rolling Stones, which was a big hit that year in '64. Um, immediately, they would run to uh, guitarist Alan Collins that they knew to join the band. And <laughs> the, the legend goes is that when Ronnie Van Zant drove into Collins driveway to you know talk to him like Collins was afraid of him for some reason like he <laughs> and, and, and he ran and went up a tree and had to be talked down <laughs> and just be like you know you you know we want you to join the band I'm not here to kick your ass you know kind of thing you know but uh he you know when he heard about it he immediately was like okay you know I'll play with you guys um, he, and, uh, then bass player Larry Junstrom rounded up the lineup and the band settled on the name, my backyard. That's what they decided to call themselves. Later, they would call themselves the noble five. And finally they would settle on the 1% by 1968. So they played a while for a few years under different names. 
Um, very like, very like. Uh, th th there's not much material out there of of this, but from what I understand, it's very like you know Beatles oriented '60s kind of stuff, psychedelic y kind of stuff, uh, garagey kind of stuff. Not a southern rock. They hadn't really settled in on that sound yet. Okay, but the name the One Percent actually didn't sit too well with uh, Ronnie Van Zant. Because a lot of people used to tease the band and say, oh, yeah, you're only 1% talent. <laughs> okay, so, you know, it leaves it open for, for taunting. Okay, and uh, Bob Burns suggested the name Leonard Skinnerd, like L-E-O-N-A-R-D-S-K-I-N-N-E-R-D. And it was based on two people. Um, I don't know if you remember the the Alan Sherman song, you know, Hello Mother, Hello Father. Yeah. He's talking about being in summer camp. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a character in that song with the name Leonard. You guys, that's how they, they like that. And then um, it was also based on their gym teacher in high school who was named Leonard Skinner, S-K-I-N-N-E-R. Yeah. And he used to break their balls about the length of their hair. He would, he would, he would in high school. He uh, he actually broke everybody's balls. It wasn't just them. He he very much enforced the rule of no long hair. And in fact, uh, Gary Rossington got hassled so much by him and other teachers that he dropped out of high school because of his long hair. Wow. Yeah. Different times, you know. So. The distinctive spelling that we all know about Leonard Skinner, the L-Y-N-Y-R-D, okay, for yeah. Leonard, they started doing that by 1970. Um, the gym teacher, Mr. Skinner, actually became a fan of the band and became very friendly with them afterwards. He let them use uh, a picture of his real estate sign that he had uh, in front of his house for one of their albums. Um, and he actually introduced them one time at a show in Jacksonville at the Memorial Coliseum. Wow. Um, so he also, uh, you know, became friendly with them, obviously. I guess he liked that they, you know, they used the name. So by 1970, Leonard Skinner had become the top band in Jacksonville. Yes, uh, they, they often uh, headlined for uh, local concerts. Okay, and they opened for several national acts as they came through Florida. Okay, uh, Pat Armstrong, uh, a Jacksonville native and partner in Macon, Georgia, based. Um, it was called. Uh, he had a company called Hustlers Incorporated, uh, that was like a management company. Um, there was a guy named Phil Walden who ended up managing the Allman Brothers. His younger brother, Alan Walden ended up being the band manager for Leonard Skinner. Now, Phil, like I said, was managing the Allman Brothers. Armstrong would leave Hustlers Incorporated shortly thereafter to start his own agency. And Alan Walden, however, would stay on until 1974 when management would turn over to a guy named Peter Rudge. But in the early 70s, the band's reputation grew through the South. And they kind of like developed this Southern rock sound okay that they really kind of invented uh the allman brothers also okay yeah, but, but that was that was Allman brothers was a little bit allman brothers was a little bit more blues yeah than country okay a little bit different mix of kind of the same ingredients uh 
Skinner blended kind of like country music, blues, some hard rock sound, like yeah. psychedelic almost at the time. Um, and British rock, okay, was thrown yeah. in there a little bit. You could hear like, you know, cream and things like that. Yeah, you can hear in a lot of influence in the music. Hell yeah. Right, right. Now, during this time in the early 70s, the band went through some lineup changes. Uh, Junstrom would leave, okay, and was briefly replaced by Greg T. Walker on bass. At that time, Ricky Medlock joined as a second drummer, okay, and an occasional second vocalist to help fortify Burns on drums. Medlock had grown up with the founding Linda Skinner members, and his grandfather, Shorty Medlock, was an influence in the writing for the song The Ballad of Curtis Lowe. Okay, so that's got his influence from that. Uh, yeah. Ronnie, I believe, wrote a lot of that song, I believe. In 1972, the band then comprising of Van Zant Collins, Rossington, Burns, Wilkinson, and Powell was discovered by musician, songwriter, producer, and Blood, Sweat, and Tears member Al Cooper. Okay. Al Cooper had a lot of connections to Bob Dylan. Okay. Uh, if, if, if you know uh, the song Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan, yeah. uh, Al Cooper came up with the organ riffs in the beginning. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he plays that. He came up with that idea, and Dylan liked it. And the song is known for that. And plus, he was in Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Uh, yeah. They were popular. Um, and he was becoming known as a, as a producer. So he had attended one of their shows in Atlanta and got them signed to a, a label called Sounds of the South that was distributed by MCA Records. And he also would produce their first album. Okay. Uh, wow. Bass player Wilkerson was nervous about this album becoming famous. He's, he had some kind of hang up about becoming famous, his doubts about it. So he, he only plays on two songs on that album. They got, a, they replaced him. Okay. What they did was um, they brought in guitarist Ed King, who was in the strawberry alarm clock, who had that song uh, incense and peppermints. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, was big, that was their big hit. But, uh, he came in to play bass. Now, Wilkinson had some other songs that were he was involved in the writing on that album. Okay, but he only plays on two songs. Now, Ed King completed some of the unfinished songs, including the guitar section on Simple Man. All right, he was involved in some writing on that. Wilkinson would rejoin Leonard Skinner, okay, and after the album was completed, and King would stay on. Okay, as a third guitarist. All right, that's what they were known for. They were known for having three guitars most of the time. Skinner. Okay. Yeah. Um, and sometimes two drummers. Okay, so that, that's that's some of the similarities they had with the Allman Brothers. The Allman Brothers were very much like that too, if you remember. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now the band released their debut album, which is called Pronounced Leonard Skinner, and they spell it out phonetically. Okay, on August 13th, 1973, it sold over 1 million copies and was awarded a gold disc. Uh, the album featured their most famous song, your favorite, Free Bird. Okay, <laughs> and that got a lot of national airplay, getting to number 19 on Billboard charts. I thought it got a little higher, 
but I just yeah, it's still top twenty. Um, Leonard Skinner's fan base would grow rapidly through 1973. They toured a lot um, because they opened up for the Who during the Who's Quadrophenia tour, and a lot of people, wow. a lot of people outside the South and the East Coast, got to really see who they were. Um, they would follow up that album with 1974's Second Helping. Uh, that featured Ed King on it, okay, Collins and Rossington, all collaborating with Van Zant for the songwriting, okay, and it really it, it took off that album too, and it kind of cemented their breakthrough that they had earlier in '73. Um, the single that was big off that album was "Sweet Home Alabama," which got to number eight on the charts that August, and during their peak years, most of their records sold over one million copies. But Sweet Home Alabama is their only top ten hit. So, I thought uh, Sweet Home Alabama way made it a lot higher. Yeah, I, I don't know what what it was up against that month. Okay, but uh, it's definitely a song that's held on. You still hear it on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it was a song. It was also "Fuck You" to Neil Young. And some people interpret that. I, I I think the band says it's not true. Okay, I think because the, the band was friendly with Neil Young, yeah. but there is that one line where he's saying like, you know, I hope Neil Young still remembers. Yeah, you know, I I don't know if it's a fuck you or because Neil Young had that song Southern Man. Yeah, and Neil Young was a Canadian playing in a West Coast band, and what the fuck did he know about Southern Man? So I don't, yeah. I, I I don't know. I you know I never got into that whole controversy, but apparently they made something out of it. People always got to have some drama, you know, I understand, I understand the guy. I understand they were all friends. I think they even collaborated on some stuff that like never got released or, you know, oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be stuff, that'd be something I'd like to hear. Wouldn't you like to hear that? That would be good. Yeah. Me. Yeah. I'm not a big Neil Young fan, but yeah, I check it out if, if you could. But by 75, personal issues began to take its toll in the band. Uh, in January, drummer Burns left, okay, after suffering a mental breakdown on the European tour. Uh, he was replaced by Kentucky native and ex-Marine Artemis Pyle. Uh, the band's third album was called Nothing Fancy, and it was recorded kind of hastily um, in only 17 days. And Al Cooper was very... He was producing again, and he was very frustrated with the band because they really weren't prepared, and then they wanted to rush through it. I think they wanted to get back out on tour. Um, also, they were getting a little bit like rock stars, okay, with their own little things going on. A lot yeah. of excess. Ronnie was Ronnie was wasted every day on Jack Daniels, okay, and whatever. Okay, and 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 the rest of them, a lot of them were. They didn't all do drugs. I I don't think Artemis really did much more than smoke weed. Yeah, you know, but uh, but some of the other guys were heavier into stuff. Um, basically, uh, Cooper said, "Okay, you know, I'll work on this record. I'll mix it when it's completed. I'm parting ways with you guys," and that was the agreement. Um, they went out on tour right after the, the album was done. Uh, nothing fancy didn't do as well as the last two records, but it sold moderately enough. I mean, it has, uh, I'm trying to remember what's on that album. Uh, shit. 
Might be like, uh, is it ooh that smell? I forget. Oh, it might be ooh. Okay. Yeah, I, I forget if that if that's on that one. Yeah, I think it I think it is. So you know, it didn't it didn't sell. Um, it didn't go gold right away like the last two. But it, you know, hey, look, they had two great albums in a row. You're gonna yeah, have more. Yeah, it got uh, it got. I'm a country boy. Yeah. Uh, give me three steps. Don't mm. ask me no question. Give me three steps. Uh, yeah, good song. Saturday night special. Saturday night. Yep. Yep, I remember that. It's got ooh that smell on it though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's on. Oh. Now, what was the name of the album again? Nothing fancy. fancy. Nothing fancy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, there was uh Wow, that was uh, what I just read you was the um That was just the, so this is the, that was yeah, the, it's um it had that but this is this was a playlist for a show that they would do. They would start whiskey Whiskey Rock and Roller, Needle in the Spoon, I'm a Country Boy, Give Me Three Steps. But the, and then they will end the concert. <laughs> With Freebird. With Freebird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they still do it. They, you know, they still do it. They, they, they did it after Ronnie died, but they would have it as an instrumental. As an instrumental. Right. Yeah. Um, for a while, they did it that way. I With, um, with Johnny Van Zant, the brother, I believe he sang it. I'm trying to remember when I saw them. All right, I, think, so I think he sang it. Yeah. Mike, so the song the song that came out of the album was I'm a Country Boy and um, Sad Night Special. Chini Woman, Rain World Song, I'm on the Hunt, I'm Losing It, Main in the Shade. So they, it was only like an album that had eight songs on it. It didn't have that smell on it? Mm, that smell... See. Or is that or is that on the next one? Let me see. I'm looking at the fancy. I'm looking at the album so far. I got the album. And that fucking album, even though it didn't do it, stood the platinum. <laughs> yeah, eventually, of course. I mean, all their albums sold. The, the at least the ones with Ronnie. Okay. Um, all right, we'll we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Because I do talk about that song in a minute. All right. Um what would happen during the tour for nothing fancy is that there was starting to be some infighting in the band. And one night, um, Ronnie and Ed King's guitar roadie got arrested. Okay. Some stupid shit. And they had a gig the next night. Ronnie got out. The roadie wasn't available yet. And Ed King had to go out on stage with, uh, old guitar strings. Okay. And he was having some technical problems because the strings were breaking as the show went on. And he kind of wasn't playing that good. And, and Ronnie chastised them like on stage in front of everybody. And he just got pissed off. And he was, you know, after the show, uh, he ended up quitting the band over it because he's like, you know, fuck you. You, you got my roadie arrested anyway, you know? And, you know, it, there was a lot of excess in the band. Some of the guys didn't want to put up with it. I mean, Ronnie was out of hand at times. He would eventually try to rein himself in, but of course, tragedy would happen. But um, Collins and Rossington got into a serious car accident over the Labor Day weekend in 1976, and that caused some canceled tour dates, and it slowed down uh, for the follow-up to Nothing Fancy. Uh, Rossington's accident 
inspired the Van Zandt Collins written song, That Smell. Okay. So my bad, That Smell is on Street Survivors. I had a mental block there for a second. Um, there's a lot of good songs on Street Survivors. I always forget that. But it's a cautionary tale about drug abuse that's clearly aimed at Rossington and maybe another band member. Okay. And, um, uh, Rossington admitted on several occasions that he's the Prince Charming character in the song of the in in the song That Smell, who crashes his car into an oak tree while high on quaaludes. Okay, <laughs> listen to the words. Yeah, it's telling the story. Okay, and uh, but Ronnie Van Zant in '76, his daughter Melody was born, and he was trying to rein in some of the excess and you know clean up his act a bit. Um. The Street Survivors album that came out in 1977 turned out to be a showcase for the band's new guitar player who replaced Ed King a year earlier, and his name was Steve Gaines. All right. Ronnie loved Gaines. As soon as he heard him play, he wanted him in the band to replace King, and uh, he loved his style and his technique. Uh, he would go around saying how you know he's the best player in the band, and he's going to take them over the top, and they're going to make you know, a fortune with him and all that. And um, Van Zant actually co-wrote a song with him called You Got That Right. And then also um, uh, Gaines had brought a song in from before he was in Leonard Skinner called I Know A Little, which he actually sings on. Okay. Uh, and he sings also on the track Ain't No Good Life. And that's the only song that, in the Ronnie Van Zant era, Ronnie doesn't sing on. Wow. Okay. So they like Gaines enough to, you know, put him in this lead position. Um, the hit singles off of Street Survivors were What's Your, What's Your Name, you know, and also That Smell. Uh, yeah. Tom Dowd, who had worked with the Allman Brothers, actually produced that record. Okay, wow. so you have, uh, you yeah, have that, you have that connection. connection. Yeah, that connection right there. Um, just now, just three days after the album was released on October 20th, 1977, following a performance at Greenville Memorial Auditorium in Greenville, South Carolina, the band had charted their Convair CV240 bound for Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's where they were going to play next. Um, they had this plane for other times. It was not a reliable plane. Uh, this is depicted very well in the movie Street Survivors, the true story yeah. about the Leonard Skinner plane crash, uh, yeah. which came out about two years ago. Artemis Pyle is in this movie, uh, and it's basically told from his perspective. Very informative because there's been a lot of misinformation over the years. I'm assuming that what what you know what happened in the movie is accurate. Uh, for the most part, um, it's told from Artemis's perspective. And Artemis, you know, it's some story what happens with him. But they were scheduled to appear in Baton Rouge at Louisiana State University. And the plane was a wreck. I mean, it was an old World War II prop plane, okay, pretty much. And a lot of people were on it. And they it used to backfire. It used to have engine issues. And the pilots were always assuring the band that it's fine. It's nothing. It's just the engine is just like that, whatever. And But they were afraid of this plane 
even before the crash. So you, you didn't hear that. Um, what was it? Aaron Smith, I think Aaron Smith. Um, they 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 knew those pilots, and they were like drinking a bottle of Jack Daniel while they were doing something. Yeah. You heard the whole thing. It's yeah, I think Aaron Smith had dealt with the two pilots before. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was on a different plane, but. Uh, they uh they were known to be drinking and stuff like that. That's not really shown in the movie, which I thought was interesting because I thought yeah. that was part of the story. But I guess it's I guess maybe that was one occasion with Aerosmith. I don't know if they were doing it that night because they didn't show it. Yeah. But but um, it, what happened was they they actually ran out of fuel. Uh, one one of the engines gave out. The one that used to backfire all the time. Um. If you remember in the film, the the co-pilot was seemed really inexperienced. Yeah. Okay. And uh, his name was William Gray. The pilot's name was Walter McCreary, who seemed a yeah. little more experienced, but kind of like all business, you know, he didn't want to let anything stop him. Okay. Yeah. He didn't want to be involved with paperwork and having inspections and things like that. And he just, you know, went along with it until it was too late, you know, and, um, Gray seemed like, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't fill the plane upright with enough gas when they left. Um, and, you know, you're supposed to check with a dipstick or something, and he didn't do that. Um, when the engine when the engine gave, gave out, now they were on – it was a twin engine. They were on just one engine, which you could probably do for a while, okay? But if you remember, he actually dumped fuel. Yeah, with, with oh, stupid idiot. They were they were on E, and he dumped fuel more. You know, you gotta wonder like if he hadn't done that, would they have made it to some field or something? Because they crashed right into the trees. Okay, about five miles northeast of Gillsburg, Mississippi, on their yeah, way to Louisiana. Um, yeah, I mean Ronnie Van Zant, Steve Gaines, Gaines' older sister Cassie, who was a backup singer. Um, assistant road manager uh, Dion Kilpatrick and uh, pilot Walter McCreary and the co-pilot William Gray were all killed upon impact. All right. Uh, some of the roadies survived but sustained serious injuries. Uh, tour manager Ron Eckerman lived. Artemis lived. Okay. And, you know, a few other people. Um, but they was very hurt. Okay. Now, what... I mean, I was uh, watching that movie. I was, I was on the edge of my seat when when that plane was going down, because I never really thought about what happens when you crash into trees. Okay, I mean, Rossington. I think it was Rossington had like pieces, like a, a stump of the tree stuck in him, and Artemis Pyle had to pull it off him, and and you just see it, it's very descriptive. The movie really shows what happens when a plane hits trees and you just, it breaks apart, obviously, but like, you know, the trees go through you and, and go through the cabin and the wood and everything. And it's like missing. Yeah, it it's, like yeah, it's, like, it's almost like getting cut by butter. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like butter. It's like a knife going, knife, through go, knife going through butter. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, I never really seen that depicted in a, in a in a movie with a plane crash before. Yeah, that was wild. Like, yeah, that was very wild. Now, uh, and then you know, Artemis, being one of the survivors, he was really banged up. He tried to get help, 
he, he, he saw that Ronnie was dead. He saw a few other people were dead. Pi the, the pilot was up in a tree. He was totally ejected from the plane and stuck up in a tree, dead. Okay, the other, the co-pilot was on the ground. Ronnie was on the ground. But the pilot himself actually got ejected from the plane. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And uh, he had to leave the site, go through a swamp. There were snakes all over the place. Okay. Then he gets into a farm area and some people see him, but he just looks like a raving lunatic because he had really long hair and he's all bloody and, you know, banged up, clothes are torn. And he looks like a, a, a maniac. So they run away from him. He gets to the farmhouse and, and he's a, like, a, a you know, maybe like 50 feet away from the door. The door opens up and a guy pulls a gun on him. Okay. And actually shoots him. He actually takes a shot, hits him. Okay. <laughs> I guess like in the leg, it, it was hard to tell where it hit him, but didn't hurt him that badly. But being on top of a plane crash, he gets fucking shot. Okay. And then he's saying, I need help. I need help. I need help. And they finally understand what happened, and that's when everything goes on. He goes to the hospital, yeah. and then they find the wreckage in the trees, okay, in yeah, the in, in the woods. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, they—that's the kind of thing. Like they had no way of getting to the anybody in time. You know, I'm not sure if anybody died while they were waiting to be found. I don't think so. I don't think it happened. I think people lived and they lived until help came but and whoever was dead was already dead but if it was any other way i don't think they ever could have got to them in time you know luckily nah. it didn't happen like that now um following the crash the street survivors album went platinum uh reaching number five in america uh the single what's your name went to number 13 on the singles chart in early 1978 uh the original album cover for street survivors had featured a photograph of the band with flames behind them. I, I remember this as a kid, this being a, a big discussion. You know, oh, were they cursed? Okay, you know, the album cover had uh, originally had them in flames, and, and Steve Gaines was particularly covered in flames, kind of more than the others. And I remember this as a kid. Like, there was about a six-month period, 77, 78, where everybody was into Leonard Skinner. It was like everybody discovered them after they after the crash. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean they had their fans. They were big anyway. But people really were like, oh, did you hear what happened? Everybody went out and bought the records and stuff and and uh was wearing the shirts. And I remember people saying, Oh, they were cursed because of the album cover. You know, it was that like that whole thing? So what had happened is uh you know, out of respect basically for, for the people that died. MCA records changed the album cover yeah. and they, they put out the rest of them, the rest of them that came out, came out with just kind of like a, a simple picture with them, like in a black background. Uh, Teresa Gaines, Steve's widow was the one that kind of asked MCA to do that. And they, they, they agreed. Um, the 30th anniversary though, when, if you buy the deluxe edition of that album on CD, it, uh, they brought back the original cover. Oh, they did? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Now, you know, Lennon Skinner broke up right after this. There was no way that they can go on. Um, they did reunite in 1979 for 
one song they did an instrumental version of Freebird at um, a Charlie Daniels volunteer jam show. Okay, it was Jam Five, and Charlie Daniels used to put on these shows, and Leonard Skinner showed up. Um, yeah, now Leon Wilkerson at that show, who had badly broken his arm in the crash, this was only you know a year and a half later. Okay, he was still getting physical therapy, so he remained in the audience along with uh, Judy Van Zandt, Teresa Gaines, JoJo Billingsley, and Leslie Hawkins. Th th those two were part of the backup singers that they had. They were called the Honkettes. Now, Rossington, Collins, Wilkerson, and Powell formed the Rossington Collins Band, which put out uh, an album in 1980 and an album in 1981. The first one was called Anytime, Anyplace, Anywhere, and that was followed by This Is The Way. Both came out on MCA Records. Now, what they did was to avoid any kind of comparison to Leonard Skinner, since that was a you know core guys in the band, um, they had a female singer. Oh. And her name was Dale Krantz. And they just didn't want anybody comparing them, saying, oh, you're just doing Linda Skinner again, like that kind of stuff. And because uh, Ronnie was dead and he was beloved by Skinner fans. You, you, you know, the fact that he died crushed a lot of people. Um, they would always do as an encore, Freebird, as an instrumental, okay, the Rossington band. And um, it was kind of a short-lived band, though. It only lasted a couple of years because Collins and Rossington had a falling out over Dale Krantz. Apparently, they, they both dug her, okay? And Rossington ended up marrying her, which put a rift between the two guys. Uh, kind of interesting. They'd been through a major band, a plane crash, and then the chick stops their friendship. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> I don't know, man. There had to be more to that story. Um, the Rossington band, uh, he would marry Dale, and he would form what was called the Rossington Band, okay, yeah. leaving the Collins name out. And uh, he would release two albums. One was called Return to the Scene of the Crime in 1986 and Love Your Man in 1988. Uh, they also opened for the Leonard Skinner Tribute Tour in 1987 and 88. Now, other members continued to make music in the years to come. Uh, Billy Powell would play keyboards in a band called yeah. Vision, which was a Christian rock band. Um, he became a born-again Christian after the plane crash, and he would often speak to the audience about how the crash brought him to that, that decision about becoming a born-again uh, Artemis Pyle started APB, the Artemis Pyle Band, in 1982. And uh, that would feature uh, past the past Skinner uh, backup singers, the Honkettes, JoJo Billingsley and Leslie Hawkins. Uh, they released one album on MCA called APB in 1982. Um, in 1980, Alan Collins' wife, her name was Kathy Collins, died. Okay, she was miscarrying a child and had a massive hemorrhage and died. Uh, it was their third child that it was supposed to be their third child. So very strange kind of accident there. Um, he would form what was called the Alan Collins Band three years later in 1983. Um, 
it basically had the remnants of the Rossington Collins band that didn't go with, with Rossington. Yeah. Okay. They released one album on MCA called here, there and back. Uh, but he visibly Collins was, was, was starting to crumble. Um, he was messed up over the plane crash. He was messed up over the Rossington Collins band. He was messed up about his wife dying. Okay. And, um, yeah, and he began to, to drink and, and do drugs excessively. Uh, this went on for about three years um, after her death. And on January 29th, 1986, Collins was 33 years old. Um, he was with his girlfriend at the time, Deborah Jean Watts, in his Ford Thunderbird just outside Jacksonville, Florida. And he drove the car into a ditch. Okay, he was he was intoxicated. He was driving, and uh, he drove the car into the ditch, and it killed Deborah Jean. Okay, it also left him paralyzed from the chest down. Okay, so he was he was done after that. Um, in 1987, the surviving members of Leonard Skinner reunited for a full scale tour. Okay, Gary Rossington, Billy Powell. Leon Wilkerson, Artemis Pyle, along with guitarist Ed King, who rejoined the lineup, okay? Uh, Johnny Van Zant, which was Ronnie's younger brother, took over as lead singer. Um, Alan Collins obviously couldn't play. He was paralyzed, but he participated as a musical director. And uh, he had gotten into some legal trouble because of that driving while intoxicated yeah. that killed, killed his girlfriend. And part of the... Uh, the plea deal, very interesting, that, that he got because he avoided jail time, okay? But what he had to do is while he was on tour, he was required to be wheeled out every night on stage and talk to the audiences and tell them what happened and why he's not playing in the band. Yeah. And then they, then they came and sung that smell. <laughs> They, yeah, yeah. I mean, ooh, ooh, that smell. That, that smell was about him. Okay, obviously before all that happened to him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was about him. Okay. Um, and you know, sadly, in uh, 1989, he would pass away uh, because he actually uh, January of 1990 he would pass away from pneumonia that he had gotten earlier in 1989. He was only 37 years old. Poor guy. Wow. Yeah, I mean, totally disastrous. There was disastrous. Um, originally, this reunion, which which did very well um, on on tour, uh, it was supposed to be a one off thing. Uh, it was captured on a double live album called "Southern by the Grace of God," the Leonard Skinner tribute tour of nineteen eighty seven. However, the band decided to stay together, and this created some legal problems because. Judy Van Zant, her last name was now Janice, um, and Teresa Gaines, whose last name was now Rap, they sued for violating an agreement that the band had made after the plane crash that they would not try to exploit the Leonard Skidder name for profit. Okay, it was supposed to be a one time reunion thing, which was probably more than. Had, they had ever bargained on, but uh, they weren't supposed to stay together and continue. So Janice wow. and Rat, okay, the two widows actually sued 
And as part of the settlement, the agreement, they collected 30% of that TOR's revenue, representing what the dead husbands, their dead husbands would have gotten. Okay. Yeah. It came out to a lot of money. And uh, they also acquired an arrangement that any touring band using the Skinner name had to include Gary Rossington and at least two of the four surviving members from the pre-crash era. Namely, that would be Wilkerson, Powell, King, or Pyle. Okay. Wow. Um, and that rule would be in place until 2001. Uh, technically, at that point, they didn't have all those guys in the band and they should have retired the name, but somehow they were, they were able to stay on. Uh, I don't get all that, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, the arrangement there too much, uh, either to me, either you're going to stay together or you're not. I don't know how you could stay together and guarantee this bad guy is going to be in the band. And you know, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? It's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy. Yeah. Now, in 1991, I find that fascinating. That, 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 that uh, somebody, obviously, obviously, Van Zant and and Gaines, the, the the widows. Okay, they were getting paid. Uh, they yeah. were getting something. So they they were they were allowing this to go on. The money was good. I guess they they wanted the <laughs> shit. Money talks bullshit. Walks. Fucking, they're remarried. Ronnie's dead. You know. I mean, like the other guys are dead. You know. Gaines is dead. It's and the, 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 the <laughs> yeah. Notice how they use their names. They didn't change their names to the they use the hyphenated names. Yeah. You know, like amazing. Yeah, yeah. So in 1991, the band would release their first post-reunion studio album. It was called Lennon Skid in 1991. But by that time, the band had added a second drummer. They went back to that kind of lineup. Uh, his name was Kurt Custer. Artemis Pyle left the band that same year, leaving Custer as a single drummer again. Okay. Um, they released a second album in 1993 called The Last Rebel. Uh, later that year, Randall Hall was replaced by Mike Estes. Now, Ed King had to take a break from touring in 1996. He was not well. He had heart complications uh, that really required a heart transplant okay so he was replaced by huey thomason uh the band did not let king rejoin after he recovered okay not sure why i think they might have felt they didn't want him to die on tour or something like that okay but you know i'm not quite sure why that would that happen but uh mike estes ended up being replaced by ricky medlock who played with them for a short time in the early 70s on drums. Uh, the result was a major retooling of the band's guitar sound. You had Medlock and Thompson would be major songwriters, okay, uh, contributing to Rossington and Van Zandt. So the dynamic of the songwriting changed a little bit. And Ronnie Van Zandt was, was writing, okay, also. Not Ronnie, excuse me, uh, Johnny, the, the younger brother. Yeah. Uh, the first album with this lineup came out in 1997, and it was entitled 20. Okay. The band released Edge of Forever in 1999. Uh, yeah. By then, Hale had left the band, and the drums were played by Sessions drummer Kenny Aronoff. Kenny's a well-known Sessions drummer. 
Uh, Michael Cartellone became the permanent drummer once they went out on, out on tour. Um, and despite the growing number of post-reunion albums live, the band would still play pretty much their 70s material. They didn't do too much new stuff. Amazing, yeah. yeah. I, saw, I saw them around that time, and, and they they did like two new songs. You know, that was it, you know. And they had quite a few new albums, but but nobody cared. <laughs> they wanted to hear Freebird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, band, the band would actually, and I, I this this went past me. I didn't know know this, but they released a Christmas album in two thousand, entitled Christmas Time Again. Uh, Leon Wilkerson, Skinhead's bassist since nineteen seventy two, was found dead in his hotel room on July seventh, two thousand and one. Uh, he had bad emphysema. He had liver problems. Uh, he passed away, and he was replaced by Ian Ian Evans. Um, the first album with Evans would be called Vicious Cycle. That was released in 2003. Uh, this album was the most successful to date of the post-reunion albums with wow. a minor hit single in the song Red, White, and Blue. Uh, a double album collection called 30 was released, and it included 70s stuff and also newer stuff. Uh, a live DVD of their Vicious Cycle tour and a live album called Leonard Skinned Live, The Vicious Cycle Tour, was released on June 22nd, 2004. Um, in March 13th, 2006, they would be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. They were. Yep. Now, uh, Thomason would leave Skinned in 2006 and be replaced by ex-Hot Apple Pie guitarist Mark Sparky Matejka. And uh, November 2nd, 2007, the band performed at the Gator Growl at University of Florida in front of 50,000 people. This was their biggest show that they ever had, okay, in America. But that would be eclipsed a year later um, when they would play in front of 11,000 people at the Bama Jam in Alabama, okay? 111,000 people they played in front of. Them. Wow. That's, That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. <laughs> That's, yep. that's animal foods. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, on June 28th, 2009, keyboardist Billy Powell died. Uh, they suspected he died of a heart attack. They never did a full autopsy. Uh, it was at his home near Jacksonville. He was only 56. Uh, he was replaced by Peter Keys on keyboard. Okay. Uh, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, 2009, Skinner announced that they had signed a worldwide deal with Roadrunner Records, okay, in association with their own label called Loud and Proud Records. Uh, Roadrunner, I believe, was going to be distributing everything. They released a new album called God and Guns. I remember when this came out, uh, September 29th, 2009. Uh, they had a tour of the U.S. and Europe. Wow. Uh, Robert Kearns of the Bottle Rockets had joined the band on bass since Ian Evans had passed away, okay, of cancer at age 48. Man, these guys had a lot of death, a lot of trouble. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of deaths even, even after the plane crash, yep. I think they were cursed, man. Yeah, yeah. Now, in addition to the tour, Leonard Skinner appeared at the Sean Hannity Freedom Center, uh, Freedom Concert Series in late 2010. Hannity was was always playing Gods and Guns 
on his TV show uh, and on his radio show. Uh, there was a song called um, "That Ain't My America" that he used to play. Yeah. Uh, the, the tour is the tour was called Rebels and Bandoleros. Uh, the band toured continuously through 2011, uh, playing shows with ZZ Top and the Boogie and the the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie Brothers. The Doobie Brothers. Now, May 12, 2012, the band announced the impending release of a new studio album called "Last of a Dying Breed." And a new tour of Europe and North America was planned. Uh, on August 21st, 2012, the album was released in celebration. The band did special autograph signings uh, on mostly the southeast leg of their tour. Uh, wow. It was around the time that the band... Now, this is when things get interesting. Around this time was when people started having problems with the Confederate flag. Okay, about 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, they were getting a lot of pressure to drop the use of the flag. All right. Wow. It had always been uh, used as a backdrop, um, you know, on their stage. Uh, most of the time since the early, early seventies. Um, but because of the criticism around it being considered racist and being used by white supremacists and all that stuff, they kind of uh, had to, to drop it briefly. Okay. Yeah. Um, they would go on CNN to promote the uh, the Gods and Guns album. Uh, I'm sorry, Last of a Dying Breed album, excuse me. Yeah. But um, they also explained why they were going to stop using the flag. Um, by September of 2012, though, shortly after appearing on CNN, they had received an outpouring of, of letters and emails telling you know from fans mad that they dropped the confederate flag okay so they reversed their decision interestingly and they considered they made another uh press release saying that it had nothing to do with racism it's 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 about southern heritage and southern pride and states rights symbolism and you know they didn't that's, interpret that's, it that way yeah, they yeah. were using it for a different reason. It's almost, it was almost like the general D had a Confederate flag. It didn't mean look ninety nine percent in in our lives. How many times have you seen that flag? B B Billy Idol used to use that flag on his guitar. Uh, a lot of people. Used Billy, to Billy Idol is British. Okay, what did he care? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it, you know, there's people that feel that when they see it, it makes them feel uncomfortable, and. You know, it's a it's a ten year old. This fight's been going on for years, but yeah. they they reversed their decision and they started using it again, and and they continued using it. Now, original drummer Bobby Burns died at age sixty four on April third, twenty fifteen, when he crashed his car into a tree while driving alone near his home in Cartersville, Georgia. Uh, between twenty fifteen and twenty seventeen, the band was fairly inactive. Um. They had to cancel some shows because Gary Rossington's health was not that good. Uh, former member Egg King, who was battling cancer, died in his Nashville home uh, August 22nd, 2018, at age 68. Poor guy. Had a heart transplant and then died of cancer. Damn. You know what? how crazy that is? <laughs> Can't get a break. Your number's up, man. Your number's up. You know? Can't get a break. Yep. Now, on January 25th, 2018, Leonard Skinner announced that their last of the Street Survivors farewell tour, 
uh, would start on May 4th of that year. Uh, supporting acts included Kid Rock, Hank Williams Jr., Bad Company played with them, Charlie Daniels Band, the Marshall Tucker Band, 38 Special, Cheap Trick did some shows, Blackberry, Smoke, I'm sorry, Blackberry Smoke, uh, the the uh, Randy Bachman Band, Blackfoot, Massive Wagons, and even Status Quo, okay, the British band, Status Quo, played with them on this farewell tour. Um, on January 8th, 2020, Gary Rossington stated that though they would no longer tour, Leonard Skinner would still do the occasional live show. Uh, Johnny Van Zant had also claimed that one last studio album would be ready as they had a lot of songs in the can. And obviously, 2020 came, the pandemic came, everything's been on hold. Uh, hopefully, they will come back around. Yeah, they, they got it scheduled for this year, for 2022. Yeah, they have some shows lined up, right? Yep, they got some shows, so... Let's so, see what happened, man. Holy moly, what a history of car crash, fucking airplane crash, heart attack, transplant. Yep. Wow. What Everything that could happen story. happened to this band. Anything oh that could God. happen. Yeah, yep. Think about it. They've been, they've been together so long. What, they, they, it's, it's almost yeah. like watching a, a person's life on TV, you know? They're, they're like family. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Wow, man. Like, what yeah. a hell of a job, man. I got I gotta tell you, man, hell of a job. Thank you. Do you see um that um Blondie and the Dam are playing um PS seventeen? Yeah, yeah. I think they're they're doing a short tour together. Uh yeah. That might be cool. When when is that? It's like May or something or June? I think oh I thought it was August. I, I Maybe it's August. I, yeah, I, 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 I forgot what day it was. I posted about it recently. I forgot. I forgot what yeah. day it was. I'm yeah. kind of. I got a lot coming up. Uh, you know, I, I have a shoulder surgery scheduled, so I'm just got. I'm gonna have to recover from that. Yeah, and you're gonna uh, be lumped up. I'm gonna be lumped up a little bit, and on whatever painkillers they give me. <laughs> and uh, once I recover, I'll I'll start thinking about you know hitting some shows. But uh, right now, I'm kind of just. Working on the podcasts, doing some yeah. reading, research, a lot of things like that I'm doing. That's good, man, because we got a lot of shit coming up the next couple of weeks with those um, the, um, Son of, the Son of Son Chronicles doing very well. I got to thank all the people who are watching and follow us. When you're mm -hmm. not watching a rock show, jump to the conspiracy show. It's yep, watch both. watch both. Watch both. Yes. And um, mm -hmm. I like the uh, mic. How do we get in touch with you? Okay, you can find me on Facebook under Rocko Mike, Rocko Mike. Also, the Rock Show Podcast group page on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram, Rocker Mike Two One Two. You can find me on Clout Hub and MeWe under Rocker Mike. And perhaps by the time this show is aired, I will be on Truth Social as Rocker Mike. But I'll let everybody know about that. All right, that you? sounds great. And you can find me on any social media platform. I look at getting them up, and I'll be there. You'll see it. You'll see my big head, a picture, or a picture of three of us. And pretty much that's it, man. And people, remember, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. We'll see you soon. Take care, people.
podcast you will hear That will be music to your ear You'll learn about bands you'll love or may not know And it's only here on The Rock Show Let's get lumped up on the rock show.